0: Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lentz, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 20 about the 10th and final commandment Thou shalt not covet.
1: Exodus chapter 20, the 10th commandment is actually found in verse 17. We've been moving verse by verse through the book of Exodus. We are in chapter 20. So find your place there. Chapter 20, verse 17. Once you've got it, would you stand if you're able with us as we read this one passage? Exodus 20, verse 17, the 10th commandment reads this way. It says, you shall not covet, Exodus 20, verse 17, your neighbor's house You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Father, as we uh, study your word now, we are so grateful for this 10th commandment summing up the law. It is a command that is going to cause us to look in and then look up because it is a commandment that deals directly with our hearts And we know that every heart is laid bare before you anyway. But this particular command was one that I think convinced the the Apostle Paul, who was Saul, that he needed a savior. And there's no doubt that that's the purpose of the law. It's a tutor to drive us to Christ. And thank you that, Jesus, you came. You lived the perfect life that we could never live. You died on our behalf. You rose for our justification. Thank you that if we're Christians, we're in Christ and we are joined to another. And we pray that, Father, as we study your word now, you will do your work in us, that our response to you would be pleasing in your sight. We ask all of that in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. The 10th commandment, you shall not covet. You'll notice that the verse before this was the first mention of our neighbor, and then we have three mentions of our neighbor in verse uh, 17. Notice verse 16, the ninth commandment says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And then your neighbor's mentioned multiple times in verse 17. The first mention in the ninth commandment, now three mentions of your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife. You have female and male servants there. You have ox, donkey, and then you have this sweeping command or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Just in case you thought there was some wiggle room or you were looking for loopholes, there are none. Anything that belongs to your neighbor. Remember that your neighbor, biblically is defined as anyone that you interact with, anyone that you cross paths with. So we can't play games with the neighbor deal. You know, the the religious leader asking Jesus, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells that great story of the Good Samaritan, meaning that, Anyone that we cross paths with is our neighbor. And so what are we commanded not to do? Well, we are commanded not to covet our neighbor's house, wife, etc. If you're interested, this command is repeated in Deuteronomy 5.21. That's the law repeated to the next generation. If you were curious, that's why it's laid out again. So it is repeated in Deuteronomy 5.21. And it is a commandment that deals directly with the heart, where all the other commandments started from the outside and then Jesus moved them to the inside. For example, he said that don't commit adultery includes lusting. Murder includes hating without a cause, etc. This particular command starts from the inside and then goes out. And I think it's positioned as the 10th commandment for a reason, because you could say that every one of the commands that we break starts first in our heart and then moves to an action. So first we covet and then we commit something wrong. The classic scene of David up on his rooftop, he sees Bathsheba bathing. He's intoxicated by her beauty. He asks about her. He finds out that she is married. She belongs to another, namely Uriah, who's fighting on the battlefield for David and for the nation. But nonetheless, David is so fixated on her so coveting her to have her as his own that he calls for her, he's with her, as you know the story, and then there's disaster that follows. I will tell you that the pornography industry in our world is built on the idea of coveting, that you would look at images and covet them and keep coming back and back and back. And in, in fact, in a general way, advertising is built on the knowledge of advertisers that you're going to covet, the new and improved. They don't even have to change the product. They just have to put new packaging on it. New and improved. And you're like, ugh, got to try that cereal. Got to try that, right? (laughs) The car industry, whatever it may be, all built on this particular idea of wanting more and more and more. Jesus put it this way in Mark 7, 20 through 23. He said, that which proceeds out of a man is that which defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting. That's Mark seven twenty-two. Wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Jesus says all these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. And that is what coveting is. It is a issue of the heart. It is not a commandment that someone can see that you are breaking. You could fool people around you. They don't know that you're coveting because it's inside of you. It's an inside job. That's what this command's all about. It's about desires and longings and looking to, you know, that which is forbidden and that's precisely the definition of the word for covet, if you're taking notes, it's the Hebrew word kamad, spelled C-H-A-M-A-D. To covet means to have a strong desire for, but it's not merely about having an appreciation for something from a distance or even a legitimate desire. That's not what coveting is about. We all should be driven to do well in our jobs and to do the best we can for our families. It's not about legitimate desire. It's about illegitimate desire. Coveting is longing for what is forbidden. So if you're taking notes, that is a good definition of what coveting is. It's synonymous with the word in the New Testament for lust, epithumia. And in context, the word epithumia can have a positive meaning, having a desire for what's good and right, but mostly used in the negative, a lusting or longing for what is forbidden. And so to walk it out, It's not merely having an appreciation for something from a distance, but it is uncontrolled, ungoverned, inordinate craving or selfish desire. It means to break down the word to crave, to yearn for, to hanker after something that belongs to another. And that is the key thought. Remember the repetition of your neighbor. It belongs to your neighbor. She belongs to your neighbor. It belongs to your neighbor. So it's not a matter of acquiring or even desiring. It's a matter of that belongs to somebody else, that person, that thing, etc., that talent it could be. Maybe you you know you see somebody else with giftings that you desire, etc. And it, encompass all of, it encompasses all of that. So the word has the idea of being consumed with possessing what belongs to someone else. You might want to write that down as an additional definition. It is being consumed with possessing what belongs to someone else. And sinful desires, of course, or sinful deeds always start with sinful desires. This is how it works. And this is James 1, 14 through 16. It says, each one of us is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust, a longing for what is forbidden. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Our first parents are in the garden. God says you can have access to all the trees, all the fruit of the trees. There's only one tree in the midst of the garden that you are not to touch. It's forbidden. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's a lot of conjecture about why they were forbidden from that tree. Some believe it was not a matter of always being forbidden from it, but a matter of timing. That's a bit of debate. But the one tree they were told not to touch, not to partake of, where is Eve hanging out? Right by that tree. And Adam, according to Genesis 3, 6, is with her. So they're both there by the tree. Why are they there? Practical advice. If there is something that is forbidden, don't hang out next to it. Amen? Because more, more of us than we'd like to admit put ourselves in positions where we're tempted. Now, there are some things we cannot avoid. You know, we're just living life and something comes across the screen, as it were, and we got to deal with it. But don't put yourself in a position to fall. There she is, the serpent enters. He's more than happy to accommodate your sin. He lies about God. He makes promises to her. She partakes, so does Adam. And mankind obviously is devastated as a result of this. So that's the classic example of our first parents being next to the forbidden tree. Instead of enjoying everything else that God had given them, they wanted the one thing that they were told not to have. You can see this in the nursery when kids are playing with different toys. Huh? And all of a sudden, one kid has the toy. It could be a box for that matter. And then the other kid, I want it, I want it, mine, mine, mine. And you see that. And as we get older, we do the same thing just different expressions of it. And so this is what the command is all about. It's wanting to take from somebody else that which they rightfully possess. And it's all the worst in us. But I will tell you that once we take a look within our hearts, we realize this command is deep and it is convicting, especially in our culture where so much of our society is built on, if only. Contentment seems to be the farthest thing from most of our hearts, and not just outside the church, but inside the church. And I'm going to give you some practical encouragement about the opposite, which is contentment, when we get to the end of the message. But for a moment, I would like you to turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 7. So we'll come back uh, to a few other passages, but we're going to move to Romans chapter 7. Now, you all know that... Before the Apostle Paul became Paul, he was Saul. He was a Pharisee born from Jewish parents. And he said when it comes to the outward working of the law, he was blameless.
0: You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment.
2: Resurrection Sunday is almost here.
1: Moving through the book of Matthew, talking about the kingdom of God and anxiety and how to overcome it in the words of Jesus.
2: Pastor Michael Lance has invited you to celebrate Easter at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona. Early risers can come to the first service at 6 a.m. Just bring a chair
1: and a blanket, maybe a carafe of coffee or whatever you need, and we'll be celebrating the Lord early in the morning as the sun comes up.
2: Visit Living Truth Christian Fellowship on Easter Sunday for the 6 a.m. sunrise service, the 8.30 service, 10.30 service, or for the Spanish-speaking service at 1 p.m.
1: Remember, you can always tune in to our YouTube channel If you are not available to join us live or locally, we have a YouTube channel and you can get to it at walkintruth.com.
2: The address is 1009 Arsenal Way in Corona. Download the Living Truth app for more information or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's the Living Truth app or call
3: 844-48-TRUTH. If you listen to Walk in Truth on a regular basis, we could use your help by becoming a monthly financial partner. Our mission on Walk in Truth is to help people like you become better equipped with God's Word to address today's issues, trends, and culture. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station, provide the podcast, and with other monthly expenses. Our fiscal year ends March 31st, and thanks to many listeners like you, we're getting closer to our goal of having 50% of our budget supported. What we really need is more monthly partners so that when we reach that goal, the program will be sustained in the months and maybe even years to come by at least that much. Our ultimate goal is to eventually become 100% listener supported and then have the ability to broadcast on more radio stations to reach more people like you. Please consider becoming a Walk in Truth monthly partner, giving $10 to $20 a month. You can give online today at walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Or visit walkintruth.com.
0: We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walkin' Truth.
1: And he said when it comes to the outward working of the law, he was blameless. Now, I think few people could say that, but... What Paul was essentially saying as Saul, Pharisee Saul, is when people looked at my life, I kept the law blamelessly. No one could bring an open charge that I was breaking the Torah. But somewhere along the line, when Jesus Christ confronted Saul on the road to Damascus and Saul began to revisit his life and somewhere in that period of time when he was called out and he responded to the Lord, apparently he began to revisit the Torah. And he began to revisit the Ten Commandments. And he talks about this in Romans 7. And I just want to set this up by bringing a question that's asked in Galatians 3.19. Why the law then? What is the purpose of the law? It was added, Galatians 3.19, because of transgression until the seed should come or the Messiah. Now here's what Paul says about it. He says, do you not know... Romans 7 1, brethren. I'm speaking to those who know the law, Romans 7.1, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. Now, law in context here is the Ten Commandments, because in verse 7, he's going to bring up the tenth commandment, which we're studying now. He uses an analogy, illustration. The married woman is bound by law, this is marriage law now, to her husband, while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, and this is a key word in the whole teaching of us being joined to Christ, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you are also made to die to the law, through the body of Christ, so that you, may, might, you might be joined to another, to him, that's Christ, who was raised from the dead, the result, in order that we might bear fruit to God. How can we be fruitful? It's not going to come by moralism. It's not going to come by putting yourself under the law as a Christian. You've been joined to another. In marriage imagery, just take a look at Romans 6, And here's the theme of being joined. Look at verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, Romans 6, 4, we've been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, Certainly, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we should no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is what? Is freed from sin. Now, here's what's happened to you as a Christian. The law has become our tutor to drive us to Jesus Once you open your heart to Jesus as Savior and Lord, you enter into a new covenant marriage with him. We are the bride of Jesus Christ. Now that marriage will be finally consummated when we're with the Lord, but we already have the uh, down payment. The dowry has been paid through the blood of Christ. The engagement ring is the Holy Spirit. And we're, we're we're already married to him, but we're gonna enter into the fullness of those promises down the line. So right now we are married or joined to Christ. So as it relates to the law, we are no longer under the weight of the law. The law cannot save you. The law is a tutor, schoolmaster, to drive you to the answer. The one who came into this world and lived the perfect life that you could never live and I could never live. The one who died sacrificially on the cross and nailed the requirements of the law to the cross. Amen? and rose from the dead. And because you are in Christ, when he died, it's as if you died. When he rose, it's as if you rose. Pictured in baptism here in Romans chapter six, you are united with him. You are in Christ. And God has reconciled you to himself, no longer counting your sins against you. Amen. Now, two Responses often come from this idea. If I'm not under the law and I'm under grace, some people will say, well, then I can do whatever I want. And if you confront another Christian with sin, they might say something like this. "Uh, Hey, bro, I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. Well, you may be under grace, but here's the idea. Being under grace doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. Well, what does it mean then? It means that since you are married to Christ, this is extremely important the singular focus of your life now becomes pleasing Him. Not because of law, but because of love. Amen? So if you want to simplify the Christian life, it's not about trying to measure up to the Ten Commandments because we all realize we've fallen short of them. I'm not saying the law is gone. We, it's still a moral compass for us. But our ultimate desire as Christians is having been united to Jesus, and we will want to be show fidelity unto him as in a marriage. Amen? Now, here's what we know for those of you who are married. When you marry somebody, you come to the altar... And I've done so many weddings and it's always wonderful to see the groom and he's there and here she comes and tears usually start to flow and it's wonderful. And the wedding ceremony can almost blaze right past them because they're just, whoa, there's so much going on and so much stuff. And, and all of a sudden you share the vows and you will, will you have her only be faithful under her only as long as you both shall live? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And will you have him? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right? Well, she, usually she hesitates a little bit because he didn't look as pretty. But anyway, never mind. All right, so, so the, the marriage is consummated. Vows are given in the Christian life. This is what happens the moment you get saved. We love him because he first loved us. We enter into a marriage, a new covenant, and we grow. The same grace that saved you is the grace that sanctifies you. Amen the same way that you got justified by the finished work of Jesus, you will be sanctified by grace. Grace is a great motivator, but ultimately the idea is love. I want to do for him what I can do. And I'm going to grow. Of course, when I'm a brand new Christian, I'm going to probably have different struggles than if I've been a Christian for 20 years.
0: You've been listening to the 10th commandment part one on walk in truth. And this is pastor Michael's 10 commandment teaching series in Exodus chapter 20. If you missed any part of today's program, walk in truth is on Apple podcast, iHeartRadio, radio, Spotify, and many more podcast apps. Subscribe for free to hear pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. And would you please do us a favor and encourage a friend or family member to listen to walk in truth on this station? The same if you're listening to podcast, please click the share button. If Pastor Michael's teachings have been a blessing to you, then our hope is they'll do the same for someone else you care about. Thanks so much for spreading the word about walk in truth. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well,
1: maybe you've had a friend tell you, you know, the 10 commandments are irrelevant to my life. You know, it's just about loving Jesus and loving people. Well, you know what? The law is useful when it's used lawfully. And what does that mean? It means the law is a schoolmaster to drive us to Christ. And the moral law, Romans 8, 4 is a key verse. We have the power to keep the moral law by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the commandments are very relevant because they are summed up in loving God and loving others as we love ourselves. I think we all know that. And so, yes, in one sense, the commandments are filled in loving Jesus, but they're also fulfilled in Loving others as we're supposed to love. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. And so that is an amazing call, and it can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the Torah means to hit the mark as we've been talking about, and it is certainly still relevant that we keep the moral law, not for salvation, but to glorify Christ and his kingdom. This is Pastor Michael Lance. You're listening to Walk in Truth. Hey, I want to invite you to our Holy Week services coming up here so quickly. It's amazing that we are coming right up to Resurrection Sunday. And there are some things going on at our fellowship here in the city of Corona. Uh, Walk in Truth is largely supported by a local fellowship in the city of Corona. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors, the senior pastor here at the church, and here's what's going on on the weekend of Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. On Good Friday, we're doing two services, noon and 6 p.m. We'll have child care for 5 and under at the 6 p.m. service. So I want to invite you out to that, invite friends and family to that. On Sunday morning, Resurrection morning, we are doing three services. We're doing a sunrise where we'll do a more traditional resurrection message, and then our main services will be 8:30, 10:30, and a 1 p.m. Spanish service. Let me tell you about the 8:30 and 10:30 a.m. I'm preaching at both of those. We're moving through the book of Matthew right now. This would be an amazing service to invite friends to who may be unchurched because we are going to be preaching on really worry and anxiety and what Jesus said about the kingdom and how to seek it first and the solutions to anxiety in our lives. And uh, this wasn't really a plan per se. Uh, just teaching verse by verse felt like this is what where the Lord would have us on resurrection Sunday morning. So um, keep that in prayer. If you'd like to visit us and join us in worship, go to walkintruth.com, click on the church tab, walkintruth.com, click on the church tab. And if you have Spanish speaking friends or family, Remember, there's also a 1 p.m. Spanish service. You can find out everything you need at walkintruth.com. See you tomorrow.
0: Join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 20 about the 10th and final commandment. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.